You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, hello, everyone. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake, and I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown. So glad that you're joining us this morning, uh, for we believe that uh, God is the best and uh, he is worthy of our worship and our affection, our attention. And we believe uh, that he really loves you. And uh, it's our desire as a church to help each other know God and experience his love to the point that we are moved to love and serve others with him. And which is really why I'm so excited about the uh, sermon series we're in right now as we're studying the book of Ephesians together. Uh, for in this book, the Apostle Paul unpacks the life-changing uh, ramifications of the gospel. And the word uh, gospel, for those who are unfamiliar with it, and the word gospel just is a way of referring to the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And so the reason I'm excited that we're studying Ephesians together is because in it, we're, we're given this insight into how the gospel, the, the great love of God, is, uh, informs and impacts our lives in critical and vital ways right now in our daily lives. And today, we're going to see in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, uh, how um, the gospel speaks into our longing to know that we are significant. Um, for we all want to know that we matter, don't we? I mean, we want to know that we're important. But how do we know with confidence that we are? I mean, whether you realize it or not, that question drives so much of what we do on a daily basis. For deep down, we worry that we aren't very important. And so we're driven to prove that we are. See, I, I, uh, I love the Rocky movies, and I can't wait for the day to get to watch the Rocky movies with my, uh, my sons, but I'm holding out on that because you have to start with Rocky 1, right? And so, but I, Rocky 1 is kind of slow at some parts. It's not Rocky 3 or 4, and so I'm afraid that their, their attention span might not be there yet, but it's such a good movie. I can't wait to watch it with them because... In that movie, the, the whole thing is basically about uh, Rocky's drive to prove that he is somebody. And in his mind, he's given a chance to prove that by boxing the champ, Apollo Creed. And there's this one powerful exchange when, when Adrian, his concerned girlfriend, and like every movie, every boxing movie has to have a concerned girlfriend or wife, but Adrian is that in this movie. And she, she's pleading with, with Rocky not to fight. It's like, why are you doing this? Why are you going to fight uh, Creed? And Rocky says this, and I'll, I'll quote it for us. He says, I just want to prove I ain't no bum. It don't matter if I lose. The only thing I want to do is go the distance. That's all. Nobody's ever gone 15 rounds with Creed. If I go them 15 rounds and the bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know then I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. Friends, I think we're all driven by that same desire. A desire to prove to the world and to ourselves that we aren't bums. For deep down, I think we're all, we all worry that we are. That seems broken, doesn't it? I mean, why do we question if we're significant? 
And how can we know if we truly are? Well, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, shows us how the gospel answers both of those questions. So let's begin by seeing how this, pers- this passage first explains why you and I, why we question our significance. And the answer is really found in the very first verse, which says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, that's a really strong statement. Barry made it earlier, talking about what he was like before the gospel impacted his life. Um, But it's a strong statement that explains why we question our significance. But in order for, for this to make sense, we have to recognize that when Paul writes this, he's picking up on Act 2 of the grand story of the Bible. If we, and if we only start here without keeping Act 1 in mind, we're going to feel like we're walking into a movie about 20 minutes late. And so let me just remind you quickly how the story begins. For the story of the Bible starts with life. It begins with creation. It begins with God creating mankind in his image. In Genesis 1, 26 through 28, we see God creating male and female in his image or in his likeness. And in doing so, he made mankind to be the crown of all creation. We were his masterpiece, his image bearers, significant and of great worth for no other creative thing was given such a high position and such an intimate relationship with God. But then things went horribly wrong. And in Genesis 3, Act 2 begins when Adam and Eve, buying into the lie that God was holding out on them, rebelled against God and turned away from him. And as a result of their sin, they died. Not physically, at least not right away, but immediately they died spiritually. For in their sin, they were separated from God. And as a result, instead of feeling incredible worth and value before God, they felt shame. And they ran, and they hid, and they tried to cover themselves up. And for they were no longer the perfect images of their perfect God. Instead, they were, from that point on, And everyone else that followed them from the moment that we're born, we've been spiritually separated from God, dead in our transgressions and sins. And friends, that's why you and I question our significance. Because of sin, we are separated from the one whom we were made to derive our significance from. And so having turned from God, having been separated from our ultimate source of significance, we've turned to other things out of a hunger to make a name for ourselves once again, to desperately trying to cover up our shame. See, now we're left all searching for our significance. And it's here that Paul picks up the story in Ephesians 2. Start with verse 1 again. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed, and that's a key word here, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following, again, key word, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. 
Okay. Now, the reason I kept pointing out the word following uh, here is because uh, the Greek word that Paul uses twice in these verses literally means to be mastered or enslaved. And it carries with it the idea that we are all following because we're controlled by something. And specifically, he says that outside of Christ, we are enslaved by or following three things, the ways of the world, the way of the devil, that's the ruler of the kingdom of air, spirit that's at work in the disobedient, and we're following the cravings of our flesh. And the word flesh in this context doesn't refer to our physical body, but our self-centered human nature. Now, here's the question I want us to think about. Why would those three things enslave us? Why would we follow them? And while in our search for significance, each of them appears to offer a solution for the nagging problem of our shame and our sense of insignificance. For why, for what is the way of the world that we would follow? Is it, is it not to live for yourself and just do what makes you feel good, what makes you feel happy, what makes you feel like you're somebody? And what's the way of the devil? Is it not to attempt to steal glory? and make everything about you? And what's, what are the cravings of the flesh? Is it not to seek our own self, selfish interests, to live for yourself and to make a name for you and try to get everyone to serve you? See, according to Martin Luther in his lectures on Romans, we are enslaved by the world of the devil and our flesh because the spiritually dead human heart is, to quote, uh, curved in on itself. In fact, he said that our nature is so deeply curved in on itself that it is wickedly and viciously seeking to use all things, even God, for its own sake. And friends, that's the essence of sin. To quote John Stott, he says the essence of sin is us substituting ourselves for God. To attempt to put us on the ultimate seat, the throne of our lives, and seek to use God and anyone else to serve us, to glorify us. And so, out of a hunger to prove that we aren't bums, we will use anyone and anything for our own sake, which is why, as it says here, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And specifically, this is in reference to God's wrath. For instead of living for God's glory and the good of others, we live for our own glory by seeking to use others to make a name for us, which is the complete opposite thing that we were created for and is the opposite picture of who God is and what he's like. And therefore, we misrepresent God, the one that we were made to reflect as his image bearers, and in that we deserve wrath. It's a just penalty for our sins. And at this point, you would think that in this passage, Paul would continue by saying something like this. We were, by nature, deserving of wrath, so God gave us what we deserved, and he sentenced us all to hell. Or you would think he would say, we were, by nature, deserving of wrath, and so God walked away from his creation and left us to fend for ourselves in this broken, war-torn world without any hope. I mean, that, that would follow, right? I mean, that would follow rationally, logically. However, in one of the greatest verses in the entire Bible. And one of the greatest contrasts of all time, 
This is what we're told. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. (laughs) How amazing is that? I mean, think, what would cause God to do that? Well, Paul tells us right here, it's because our God, who is rich in mercy, loves us greatly. Even when we were dead, dead in our transgressions, our transgressions of seeking to live for ourselves and use others to make a name for ourselves apart from him, God, being rich in mercy, made us alive, alive with Christ. And as if that's not amazing enough, Paul keeps going. He says in verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Okay, now, what in the world does that mean, right? That God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. What's he talking about there? Well, uh, ancient people understood the significance of this metaphor. For in those days, if you were a conquering hero and you conquered on the battlefield and you achieved glory for your people, that when you returned home, you were seated at the right hand of the throne in the place of highest honor, the most honorable seat in the kingdom. And so it made sense to the Ephesians that Paul was writing to that Jesus would get the most honorable seat in the universe. Because he conquered. He was the hero. He defeated sin and death. And so he has the most honorable seat. But here, Paul says something crazy. He says, we've been raised up and seated there in that most honorable seat with Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, notice, friends, that this is in the past tense. God raised us up with Christ. He seated us with him. Like it has already happened. And friends, it has already. Legally. Not physically yet, but legally. See, this means that legally in Christ, that is where we are seated. That is our position. That when you place your faith in Jesus, all of your sins are covered and you are made alive in him as a new creation and you are treated and honored and welcomed just like Jesus. That the Father, God the Father, treats you just like his son Jesus. As if you had done everything that Jesus had done, has done, and he rejoices over you and he honors you just like he does Jesus. Not one day, but already today. And one day, you will physically experience this already legal reality in the coming ages where you will then bask in the incomparable riches of his grace for all of eternity, just soaking this in. Like, this is incredible what God has done. But friends, you think, man, how can this be? Well, this all came to us through the grace and kindness of Christ Jesus. And kindness is another English word that just doesn't get across the full meaning of the Greek word because the, the Greek word doesn't just mean some kind of sentiment. It, it, it means costly action. Like it's not just saying I love you, but putting to action, a costly action to your words. And that's what Jesus did. You see, to return to the John Stott quote, 
He says the essence of sin is us substituting ourselves for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. See, in sin, we put ourselves where only God deserves to be. But in salvation, God puts himself where only we deserve to be. And that's what God, in his kindness, in his great love for us, in his mercy, that's what he did for us. Jesus came and he took our seat, our place, by going to the cross for us, where there he received what we deserve, our punishment, not just physical punishment, but the very wrath of God poured out on him and experiencing the agony of being cut off from the Father like we deserve. And he did that so that we could take his seat at the right hand of the Father and receive the honor and acceptance that Jesus deserves. And friends, when you realize that, it will end your search for significance. For this is the ultimate proof. It's the ultimate proof of your significance. For, listen, if God of the universe would love you and serve you to the point of dying for you, so that you, so that you can uh, be with him and then raise you up with Christ and seat you with him in the greatest seat of honor, then you no longer have to question if you matter, if you're significant. For if God would not stop coming after you, even though we turned away from him, and he would die for you, and he would reconcile you to himself and then place you in the seat of honor with Jesus, then you no longer have to worry if you're if you're a bomb, instead you can know that God, the one whose opinion of you matters more than anyone else's, you can know he says, you are important to me. You're that important to me. Come sit in the seat of honor with Christ. Because that's the ultimate proof of our significance. And friends, as Paul says next, this is all a result of God's amazing grace. He says famously in verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Which means if you've bought into the notion that you, by how you live, can like earn God's approval, then you need to know that that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, to put it really bluntly, you need to know that that idea that you can earn God's approval by your good works, that that idea is a lie. That you can't say yourself. You can't have approval. But the good news is, and really the great news of the gospel is, you don't have to. So God has made a way for you to be saved through what Jesus has done for you, and it is a gift See, friends, all you have to do is see his love and then receive it. Rest in it through believing it, through faith, through simple trust. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Like, you can do that right now. I mean, you could just right this minute tell God, and I believe that. Save me, rest, restore me to you through Christ. Make me alive in Christ. I receive this gift. And it's yours. And friends, if you receive his grace, or for those of you who have already received it, 
then you can know that you are saved and you can know that you are significant. For look at what God has done for you. Look how he has served you and where he has seated you. As a result of his great love for you, you're seated with Jesus in the greatest seat of honor. And according to this passage, when you realize this, there are at least three things that result. The first thing that results is that it will end boasting. As Paul goes on to say, I guess I'll start at verse 8 again. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not for yourselves as a gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. Now, why, why do you think Paul would call out boasting specifically here? I mean, why draw attention to that? That kind of seems odd, right? Well, for, to, uh, for uh, us, boasting just kind of means bragging. But for the people that Paul was originally writing to, boasting wasn't just bragging. It, it was something much more significant. For you see, before a warrior would run into battle, they would boast. Because running into battle was terrifying. <laughs> there was a great chance that they were all about to die. And so we've all seen the scenes in Braveheart or Gladiator or whatever movies, that before they would run out of battle, they would take time, then they would, they would boast. And they would say things like this, we have the iron chariots, or we have the largest army, or we have the greatest warrior king with the longest sword or the longest spear. And everyone would be like, yeah. And then that would build their confidence. You see, boasting is what gives you the confidence to face something hard. And friends, we're all looking around for something we can boast in, to rest in, to be proud of, in order to give us the confidence to face life. For life is hard. And so we look for something to give us a sense of confidence, to face it, to make us feel like we have worth and strength and significance. See, everyone is looking for something or has, thinks they have found something that they can boast in. See, some of us do that by boasting in our grades or our morality or our family or position at work or our salary or relational status. But all of that is exhausting because everything you, you are looking to are things that you have to achieve or acquire, things for which you must perform for or in order to attain. And they're often really hard to attain. And sometimes we fail to even get them. And even if we do get them, then they're hard to hold on to. And then when we hold on to them, what we find is that they don't fully satisfy us. And we're left trying to attain something else in another area. There's a life looking for something to boast in. That's a scrambling, striving, performing kind of life, and it's exhausting. But Paul says here, look at how Jesus has served us and see that he has attained for us a free gift. And that because it's free, we don't have to strive and scramble to find something to prop us up before God or anyone else. We can rest in Jesus. And so we don't have to do something to prove our worth, to prove that we're not a bunch of bums. Instead, all we need to do is rest in what he has done to prove our worth. And that is all we need to face life with confidence. For, two, for when it comes to the question, do I matter? 
you can say with confidence, God says I do. In fact, he placed it. He died for me and he seated me in the seat of honor with Jesus. How could I ever ask that question again? I could stop my search for something else to boast in to prove my worth. As Paul says in Galatians 6.14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this ends our need to find something to boast in. It ends our need for boasting. As the old hymn goes, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. But friends, not only will knowing that you're significant because of what Jesus has done for you, and where he has seated you, not only will that end your need to boast, it will also end your need to use others to prove your worth. For when you realize how God has served you and seen you in the greatest place of honor with him, you realize you don't need to use anyone else to get a better position. For hear this, there is no better position. And friends, that has the power to free you from using others so that you can serve others. For when you have no longer, no longer need to use others to make a name for yourself, you can instead serve them in light of how you've been loved and served. And this frees you to live the life that God has prepared for you to live, which is what Paul points to us next in the following verse, verse 10, when he says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See the word translated handiwork here is the Greek word poema for which we get our word poem. And so here Paul is saying, we are God's work of art, the work of a master artist or craftsman, that in Christ we have once again become God's masterpiece, recreated in Christ to do good works. Not to do good works to become something that we're not, but to do good works in light of who we already are in Christ. And so having already proven our significance, God now enables you and I to live eternally significant lives filled with purpose and filled with meaning. Lives that can be spent serving him and others, freed from the need to use others to prove our worth. We can love and serve others with God. And friends, there are many good works that God has prepared in advance for each of us to do. But together, if you're a part of Midtown Church, I can tell you one of those good works is this. It's to see the day when every man, woman, and child in Austin has heard the gospel from someone who loves them. I want to invite you into that. Let us secure in our worth before God, in light of how we have been loved and served by him, let us go and love and serve others with him so that they too can know how significant they are in the eyes of our great God. So they too can know they're not bums and they can rest and put that question aside. Gosh, friends, I've been praying so much 
that this would sink into all of your hearts, that it would set you free from your searching and you're, and you're striving and you're scrambling to try to prove that you're significant, that you're somebody, and that you would just receive this and know that that is a, <laughs> it's a done deal. God has declared it with Jesus' death for you. You are significant. Gosh, I pray that that comes home to your heart and it sets you free from the searching, gives you confidence and joy, and it sets you free to serve others instead of use others. Let me pray for all of y'all along those lines right now. Let me pray. Father God, we, we just ask that the truth of this would sink into our hearts. That sin brought death, it separated us from you, the source of our significance. But God, you're in great love for us. Us, give us what we deserve, but you came and died in our place, Christ, so that we could get only what you deserve. We would reconcile to you, we would forgiven, and we would be made holy and blameless, and that we would be seated in the place of honor with you. God, what you have done for us and what you tell us we awaits us and what is already legally true of us, may all of may we believe that. <sighs> May it bring rest and joy, and may it free us to serve others instead of use others. God, may each person know, know here that they're significant in your eyes, and your eyes are the ones that matter more than anyone else's. God, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for how you love us. Thank you for your rich mercy. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your kindness displayed to us in Christ. And since then we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.